Hello and welcome to Muppet Sational, the Muppet Show podcast, hosted by three huge Muppet fans. Join us each week as we dive into an episode of Jim Henson's classic variety show, now finally available on Disney+. This week, it's Season 1, Episode 10, starring the clucking funny Harvey Corman. It's time to get things started on the chronological, explorational, conversational, Muppet-sational! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Muppet-sational. I'm Lewis Chandler. I'm Jay Turner. And I'm Emma Chandler. And good grief! <laughs> this is what you get with a variety show. Sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad. <laughs> Jade, before we launch into discussing the episode, why don't you give us some production information? Of course, Lewis. So this was originally broadcast on the 7th of November 1976, and the production code lists it as the 10th episode made, so therefore Disney Plus have included it as episode 10. It was written by Jack Burns, Mark London, Jim Henson and Jerry Jewell, and directed by Peter Harris. And just want to say on that broadcast date is quite interesting this was actually broadcast quite early in the run compared to some of the other ones that we've been watching recently and I was checking and it's actually kind of funny because then the next episode we're going to watch which is Lena Horne's episode that was broadcast the week before this one so it's kind of odd that they this whole order thing is so bizarre it's so bizarre which I'm guessing is maybe because he was quite famous at the time Emma I'm I'm hoping you've done some research on Harvey because I still don't know hardly anything about him (laughs) yes so Harvey Corman he was a actor and comedian and actually he was on quite a lot of different sitcom kind of shows that were around so he guest starred in the Donna Reed show the monsters he was the great kazoo in the flintstones you know that weird little oh, green alien okay yeah yeah. yeah yeah um and also he was on the carol burnett show he worked with danny Kay, lucille ball at the time he was quite a famous kind of comedic actor slash comedian so yeah he um had quite a long career and like i said he guested or starred in quite a lot of american sitcoms so yeah i've got to say for somebody who's had such a prolific career in american comedy i don't think this was the best showcase of him if i'm honest yeah i know what you mean i think this was quite a up and down episode there were some bits that i really really enjoyed and then there were other bits that i felt like either just went on too long or weren't quite 100 percent sure of themselves um and i agree lewis i After we recorded the last episode, we all looked up and sort of said, oh, who's Harvey Corman?" and had a quick look. And when we saw that he'd been on the Carol Burnett show, I think we all kind of maybe not got our hopes up too high, but were a little bit like, oh, this could be a fairly, fairly decent kind of episode. And yeah, I think it's not um, definitely not the strongest use of a comedian that we've seen thus far, I don't think. I didn't really get a strong idea of what his kind of comic persona was. Mm. Like with the other guests that we've had who are comedic, you know, like we've had Ruth Buzzy, you got what her vibe was. Yeah. Uh, whereas with Harvey Corman, I I just didn't understand what his point of view or his stance was. Like there was a couple of moments where he would maybe like look to camera or he's sort of a bit long-suffering and being made a fool out of a bit. But yeah, I didn't really get a sense of who he was as a person and what his 
comic leanings were or even his sense of humor really it all just felt so generalized yeah it wasn't really like gym neighbors where you come away knowing a hundred percent exactly what they were going with for his star persona (laughs) he was not a country boy (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) when he first came on screen you know the little snippet they show right at the start my initial impression was bank manager that was like (laughs) i was like oh <laughs> My thought was he was one of those men from the 70s where he, if somebody told you he was either somewhere between 30 to 50, yeah. I would believe you. <laughs> you know, when it's like, all of these people have been like out in the sun in like factor two and probably have like three martinis a day, and you're like, I could not tell you how old the, how old this person is. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, we might as well jump into the episode. I don't know about you guys, but when the hick Muppet turned up for a little joke, I was immediately concerned we were heading back to the barn for another <laughs> foot stomping number. <laughs> there'd be like a hick Muppet playing a jug and another one sort of playing a banjo and there'd be hay bales. But thank God it was only the briefest of uh, appearances. I quite like that it started with the little very Muppety Kermit saying we're going to start on a high note and... Hick Muppet comes out, plays a high note, and then Statler and Waldorf say, at least it's not a bang, and they then karate chop Crazy Harry out of their box. <laughs> I, I thought, like, it, that to me just felt very Muppets, you know, as a as mm. a sort of playful, chaotic way to start the show. Which then, I don't know if it, I don't know, how did you both feel about the first Dr. Teeth and Electric Mayhem number, Love You to Death? Because I... I was a little bit surprised that that was what was opening the episode, to be honest. Yeah, no, I I know what you mean, Jade. It was quite a kind of chaotic opener. All the explosions. And then it had quite a random kind of topic to it because they were talking about like the atomic bomb and <laughs> everything else. And I was a bit like, this is a really weird choice of an opener. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, but I just didn't think it was like their best. And like, even... Like the puppetry, I didn't think was that good in it. I don't know. It just mm. felt like something that they'd had on the shelf and then they just kind of slotted it in. But the thing is, it didn't even really give a tone to the whole episode at all. No. I mean, the only thing that I kind of came out from that was explosions. <laughs> and then just like... Very astute, Emma. <laughs> yeah, but I know. But it was kind of like really bizarre and a bit... I know it's there the electric mayhem and... It was a bit of a mayhem, but I just didn't think it was that strong. All I could think was, oh my God, how close are the puppeteers to those explosions? <laughs> That's the only thing I could think all the way through. Because I was like, would they be at like head height? Yeah, Do you know probably. what I mean? For the relative to the cameras. I was like, oh, no wonder the puppeteering isn't maybe quite so on it. They're probably freaking terrified. They probably got PTSD <laughs> like, afterwards. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't trust 1976 pyrotechnics. Some, you know, schlubby 45-year-old man turning up with some like chemicals to just chuck in there and set, like while he's having a fag in the studio. Do you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> And if nothing else, they definitely ended up with tinnitus, I'm sure, with them being so close to their ears. (laughs) (laughs) I did like that it started with that shot reflecting the sort of king off of uh, Dr. Team's gold tooth. I thought that was a very impressive sort of start. Maybe maybe consider a gold tooth. (laughs) (laughs) No, Lewis, no. (laughs) No, I don't. No, Definitely not. I know this is purely an oral medium, but I think my voice makes it very clear that I'm not the key demographic for a gold tooth. 
And neither are you going to be the the breakout demographic that suddenly like leads the charge to uh, like make no. it the in thing for the kids these days. It's like when Madonna wears grills. It's like, look, Madonna, I respect your choice to do anything, but <laughs> why grills? <laughs> Just why grills, Madonna? I agree with you about this, Emma, though, which is that it just felt kind of generic and there wasn't anything massively specific to hold on to. Like we've spoken before about in really enjoying Dr. T's performances where you've seen really like you've seen close ups of his hands or they've played a lot with the stretchy arms. And then other things like obviously just seeing Animal go absolutely crazy or whatever, like this just felt very... I don't know, there was just there was just nothing particularly exciting about the staging. And maybe they had to do that because of the pyrotechnics, because you probably would have seen Joe with his box of, you know, explosions sat next to them <laughs> his otherwise. Box of dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> for something that was meant to be about explosions, there was nothing explosive. There was nothing remarkable. I, I just I didn't find it massively engaging, to be honest. It wasn't you know, it was fine. It definitely wasn't like one of the better electric mayhem performances we've seen so far i don't think i appreciated its lead into something that we've never seen before which is a kermit chat with another muppet on stage which was an interesting kind of thing and uh yeah kermit's little chat with uh animal i thought made the preceding song worth it to be honest yeah no completely i i really loved the kermit and animal chat it was really really good fun i thought the puppeteering of animal was absolutely spot on like he was so out of breath to start with because he just finished the performance and then just all the little details like him hitting his head to say that he'd been doing it for five years and then when he was kissing the drum set because he was saying that he loves them a great deal and it felt right. It like I do feel like Animal's been a character that's been right from the very first episode that we watched, and they just knew exactly what they were doing with him right from the off. I think, which is interesting because it is a bizarre character <laughs> when you actually think about it. Because we're so used to Animal, you don't really think about it. But when you sort of look at these other characters that we're very familiar with, and we're like, oh, Gonzo doesn't feel quite right yet, or Fozzie's a bit more of a sad sack. For Animal to have been so consistent mm. right from the jump. And for that jumping off point to actually be mad. Like, it's just, he's an insane drummer who just, like, screams, like, shouts and screams and tries to attack people. It really does just work. And you can see why he would be a breakout character. My favourite part has to be when he just went, bad pun! Yeah, <laughs> yeah that me was too. mine as well. <laughs> Animal truth telling. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> I think we should try, we should try and get that as a little clip. We could just pop in and we can decide on our bad pun of the week. Bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> bad pun. I also really love his eyebrows. They're so expressive. Whenever he's talking about anything, you know, like when Kermit was reading off the the drummers and everything, you could see him sort of getting excited and then getting worried and then getting just pure angry because he's about to be replaced and that was mainly done through his eyebrows being raised to different levels or furrowing or whatever like it's just it's just so clever i just love it it. it's great it's making me consider my choice you know in a couple of years when i turn 30 whether i do want botox or fillers (laughs) because will i be able to move my eyebrows in the same amount of way that animal can i don't know or will it just be nicole kid (laughs) and i'll have to do it all through gasps just (laughs) (laughs) 
nobody will ever be able to tell your emotions just by looking at you ever again. Perfect. <laughs> I'm really mad. Are you? I'm really excited. Are you? <laughs> I can't believe my husband, Hugh Grant, killed that lady. Are you sure? You don't seem that fast. <laughs> undoing what a mess anyway this is not an undoing podcast this is the muppets and i'll tell you something else it's also a mess and has not once raised a smile or a laugh these damn houses like not one of them is a good joke yeah this one i didn't even i don't even think the pun really worked on this one because she was just like my insides are killing me i've got movers like surely surely there should have been a better verb like renovators well or yeah or i don't know it's the kid it's the killing me that i think is like it's like movers don't kill a house do you know what i mean like there's got to be a better or yeah like you said builders my insides are churning i've got the renovators in or something i don't know maybe they thought that was too close to a period pun um i don't know (laughs) just (laughs) i just think it's quite a shame because like in terms of like puppetry and the whole kind of like image of the houses it's really good Mm. and it's just like so Mm. sad that every time we see them it's just terrible (laughs) (laughs) i agree it's really odd and particularly when you think like it should be such an easy setup. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. house puns, building puns. It's a really simple jumping off point. It's something that you'd be chucked in an improv show. Like things your house would say if it could talk. And this is what they're coming up with. And it's just really a waste of lovely puppets on substandard material. I know the first season is very pun heavy and it's to do with the writers. And we'll get to it when we move on to season two. But... I'm hoping that maybe the houses are going to be slowly phased out when we get a little bit further in. <laughs> because I agree with Emma, they're just a waste of quite amazing puppetry, really. Condemn that neighbourhood. Bulldoze it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then we kind of jump into the main sketch with Harvey. And yeah, it's kind of got a very crazy kind of circus vibe going on. Maurice the Magnificent. Maurice the Magnificent, yeah. (laughs) And the fog as well. The big blue fluffy round ball with the crazy eyes and the flappy ears. And Harvey's doing a kind of crazy ringmaster act and trying to build up saying it's like a ferocious animal and like a demon and a black-hearted hellhound. I thought that was hilarious, that black-hearted hellhound line. I was like, Christ, Harvey! (laughs) (laughs) And, like, really hamming it up. And then they open the cage, and then this big fluffy ball comes out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know what you guys thought of it. I quite enjoyed the build-up to it, because, I mean, it was obvious that it was going to be a big, fluffy Muppet. Like, I wasn't sure exactly who they were going to go with, but... It was clear it wasn't going to be like a frackle or sweetums or what, you know, it was going to be a big fluffy thing that came out. And I felt like he was really hamming it up, but it was quite amusing to see him do that. And I enjoyed the first part of when Thog came out. Like you mentioned, Emma, the ears flapping up and the, yeah, it was really cute. And when Harvey, sorry, when Maurice said about the lady fainting in the front row. A very distinct character. Very distinct character. I don't know how I made that mistake. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) Um, When he said about the lady fainting in the front row, Thog went to try and help. And then then it was like, no, you demon, get back, get back. But then I just felt like 
after that initial joke of the ringmaster basically calling him a demon and cracking the whip and everything, it just disintegrated very, very quickly. It was obviously just that same one note of actually this is a very, very sweet, loving Muppet and you're being this ruthless ringmaster for clearly no reason at all. And I just felt like it just went on and on. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Definitely. I was like, and what's, how's this going to end? Like, what point are we going to? Like, where? <laughs> Why? Where is How? this going? <laughs> I think that was the point where I then became somewhat hysterical watching this. Because <laughs> it just kept going on and on and on. And then he just kept going, you demon, you demon! Yes. <laughs> I just, I just, I broke down into kind of just like, laughter because i was like this is so weird (laughs) yeah the enjoyable setup and gorgeous puppet but it it was lacking a little something whether that was pace or whether that was a stronger conclusion because actually i mean once maurice is in the cage we don't know what Thog's going to do. Maybe he is about to eat all those people. <laughs> maybe, it's all, maybe it's all been an act. Maybe Maurice was right all along. But um, it was just lacking a little something. Like, I almost wanted the the cuteness to be elevated. Like, mm. I don't know, he'd come out with a bunch of flowers or he'd try and cuddle him or... I did, yeah, it just needed a bit more. Well, you did... You had that when they ended up dancing together. And, I mean, I must say I really enjoyed Thog's arabesques. I was yes. like, this is what we need more of on the Muppets. We need a giant Muppet doing some lovely ballet moves. Yeah, I just feel like it was the pace and it didn't really feel like it was hitting the beats because of the fact that it was so kind of elongated. And yeah, I just think, I don't know, you could have had him come out, you could have had the joke with the woman fainting, then gone straight into him kind of cracking the whip and making him dance. Thog saying something lovely about Harvey, sorry, Maurice, so confusing, (laughs) very confusing. (laughs) And then you could have just had him twirl him into the cage. And then, like you said, Lewis, maybe then Thog either turns or he gets even lovelier and does something like, I don't know, hand out flowers or sweets or chocolate. Or, do you know, like, and then that could have been it. And you probably would have lost at least a minute off the time. Of, I mean, it was just, it was just long. It was very long. Mm. Enjoy, yeah, enjoyable enough, but missing something. And as to what it needed, I'm not quite sure. One thing I could have done without <laughs> entirely was this panel show discussion. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're back on the... uh... Oh, for sure. And I was trying to work out what it was about this panel show that wasn't working Mm -hmm. for me. And I think I worked out what it is. The panel show itself was a sketch. Yes. Rather than the panel show is a panel show and funny things happen. Yeah. And Mm. that sounds... I don't know if that's making sense, but the structure of its existence... (laughs) meant it didn't work it just it was really strange because all three of them were doing jokes together or three of them were looking back and forth like it was a tennis game and so it meant that the entire conceit was a joke rather than funny things happening within an otherwise serious panel show discussion and for me that just meant it the whole thing didn't work also what i found really kind of weird was when they said is conversation a dying art and then they all kind of turned over and died and they looked kind of lifeless on the the desk and it actually really ruined the illusion yeah 
Do you it not did. think it just made them look really lifeless and kind of strange? I did, but I also, well, two points. I thought it was quite funny because I just, I, I guess it was sort of meta, wasn't it? Just this mm. idea that actually yeah. if, they, if they do flop them over like that, they do just look dead. But also that's the panel show discussion that they have on the Rita Moreno episode. So I was checking to see if Rita followed this, but she didn't. So I was like, I was like, oh, okay. We'd already had that. Rita had already been on. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I didn't mind the sort of the back and forth with the tennis with their heads going was a funny visual and I thought it was well done. But I'm completely with you, Lewis. The, the reason that the other ones, when they have worked, the reason they have worked is because you've got is because you've got four participants who all think they're seriously taking part in a mm, panel discussion, exactly. mm. even if what they're doing is mental. But in this one, as you said, the whole thing was just set up to be a sketch the whole way through. And they were all being so mean to Piggy. Yes, yes. Oh, and I also, I didn't understand why the pig that was next to Harvey Corman was Frank Oz and we had Richard Hunt doing Piggy. Surely they could obviously have done that the other way round. I mean, we're on episode, this was the 10th episode they produced. I know. Oh, it was really, it was quite jarring actually to hear her with that voice again. Yeah, it was kind of, it was quite a shame. I thought she had it throughout the whole episode. I don't think Frank Oz played her at all this episode, and I did not in Veterinarian's Hospital, which obviously we'll get to in a minute. But there's no reason that somebody else couldn't have played the puppet that was on on the operating table. Why did Frank Oz have to play that puppet? I don't. I, I realize that this is just. You know, we shouldn't be getting, but it's just like, it's no, just but it is because it's frustrating for a couple of reasons. Because Piggy made so much sort of progress last week as a character. And also we just respond to her, not only having her correct voice, but it's also the way that Frank Oz characterizes her. Yes. Is yes. just so much better. Whereas Richard Hunt is just doing a generic sort of ugh, woman, really. Whereas Frank gets the sort of innate pigginess <laughs> mm. like there is just something more there it takes you out of it exactly yeah it takes you out of the moment shout out to life magazine though <laughs> <laughs> love that little shout out i'd love to read an issue of life magazine and feel like i was in mad men <laughs> it feels, feels so glamorous <laughs> working in the time and life building <sighs> what do we think the meaning of life is everybody no, no time. <laughs> Lewis, you're hungover. I really don't think you've Hey, the, uh... I wasn't going to mention it. <laughs> oh, well, I am. <laughs> I was worried that it was going to be too many episodes where I'm hungover and recording. I didn't want the people to think I have a problem, so I was trying to really stoically not mention it this week. <laughs> God's sake. Oh, I'm sorry. Lewis isn't hungover, everybody. I'm just Well, joking. now that you've said it, I'm going to give up the pretense. Right? Just... <laughs> There we go. There's me opening my water for everybody. You can hear that jostling around. That's <laughs> going to sound lovely. Oral medium. <laughs> there we are. Just enjoy this, everybody, because Lewis is going off the rails. <laughs> Just like to mention, he's hungover, not currently still drinking. But uh... <laughs> Oh, no. I was working so hard at keeping my voice up in a higher register so I didn't sound so rough. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful work, Lewis. Beautiful work. <laughs> it's, the, it's the role of a lifetime. And then from one fairly disappointing panel show sketch to yet another ballroom sketch, which after the heady heights that we reached last week, 
I was really, really disappointed with this one. I mean, it's not like I got my hopes up or anything, because let's be clear, it's not like I ever <laughs> expect it to be great. But I was sort of like, oh, maybe it's getting a little bit better. But Mildred and George, with the joke about being attracted to George, both of them was odd. The the pork pie hat as a relative was just... Ugh. Terrible joke. Zoot and Janice listening to the Beatles, like... I'm sure every single comedy writer in the 60s and 70s made that at some point. I know, but like, by 1976, (laughs) to still be making Beatles jokes. Like, come on. Very poor. And the balloon popping was... Alarming. Oh, no, it was. It was really terrible. It was, like, such a shame, because... (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how you really feel, Emma. Just launched a trend. (laughs) Like you said last week, we actually enjoyed At The Dance. We bigged it up. This week... It's like rock bottom again. (laughs) All I could think is I felt so sorry for Mildred. And I was like, God, I bet she wishes she was still with Charles Aznavour. Oh, I know. (laughs) She's back to her spinster librarian life, (laughs) dancing with a janitor. Can I just talk about George's dancing style a second? Because he sort of like hops up and down like he needs the toilet. And he's meant to be ballroom dancing with her. It's the weirdest dance style I think I've ever seen i mean imagine if he wasn't a muppet imagine if that was a real man doing that you've got a woman (laughs) holding on to you and he's just bouncing up and down constantly and she's trying to sort of do i don't know what the the foxtrot or something i believe they call that the uh, horizontal tango (laughs) (laughs) i just don't i mean i get that they're obviously trying to show that he's bad at dancing but i think there's other ways of showing that he's bad at dancing rather than just have him essentially looks like he's hopping on one foot. All of the dancing is never particularly good. Mm. Like the puppeteering in this section, which I suppose must be difficult because you'll have two puppeteers in very close proximity having to spin and turn together. But considering what the Muppet puppeteers are able to achieve in other sketches, it does feel very kind of rushed on every level. The choice of puppets, the writing... And its delivery. And I think that's probably why we always respond so negatively to it. Because it just, it doesn't feel like it's got the same level of sheen that we are used to from the Muppets. Yeah, completely. I think I was flipping through the Jim Henson biography looking for the quote for today. And I came across... Looking for a reason to explain this crash. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) looking for some justification for this nonsense. (laughs) Well, and I came across a little bit that was talking about the ballroom at the dance sketches. Was it just an apology? (laughs) Well, basically what it was saying was that none of the Muppet performers enjoyed doing it. The writers didn't particularly enjoy writing it. And... They knew that it wasn't sort of, I guess they kind of knew it wasn't really working. So everything you've just said, Lewis, I think is spot on. I think they absolutely (laughs) hated it. And I think it was just something they did as a bit of filler and clearly didn't didn't put their heart and soul into like they did with other bits. And I realised we didn't talk about this on last week's, but one of the things I did actually really appreciate about Mildred's dance with Charles Aznavour was how good the puppeteering was with Mm. Mildred dancing with Charles because actually that must have been really hard to do. It must be hard enough to do it when you've got two puppets dancing together. But actually a puppet dancing with a human and in the the fluid way that they were doing it, that's that's a feat of engineering right there, mm. isn't it? Like that's that cannot possibly be easy. And doing all of that while you've got your head in Charles Aznavour's crotch. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lewis, calm down. 
Oh, oh shut up. <laughs> Is that position available? <laughs> Just God's sake. Oh no. But it, it makes even more of a joke of how bad the ballroom sketches are that you know, they don't put the same level of attention into them. Because if they yeah. did, exactly like you've just said, they probably would just land slightly better. Just slightly better. Did the book give any indication as to when the ballroom sketches would be over? Yeah, they're a first season thing. So. Hooray! <laughs> okay, next so we're about we'll be... half Exactly, next week we'll be through. halfway through. We'll be halfway, we're halfway. through halfway. Something else that I did see, which I'm actually a bit more sad about, is that the talk spots are really only a season one thing. There's a few of them in season two, and then by season three, there's only a few, I think. And then what? A, why? Because again, it, I think it was it was it's to do with the writers and to do with I guess who okay. who it was that was pushing them. I think what we're going to see as we move through the seasons is that it does become a lot more kind of character driven. <gasps> well, that's great to be honest. Yeah, it's something mm. we're all going to really enjoy. But I, I when the talk spots work, they are quite good fun. So I'm sort of I'm already a little bit sad at the thought that we're not necessarily going to get that moment between the host and Kermit. I mean, we'll get to this week's chat segment in a moment, but mm. before that, we have a couple of little <laughs> bits of business to get through. <laughs> <laughs> One odd moment backstage that it's strange to not really have a runner this yeah, week. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Really odd. No runner. No real runner. No, there wasn't. Like just weird little sort of pop-up moments, mostly featuring Harvey Corman in a chicken suit, which just... <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Yeah, but I didn't even quite get the business he was doing with the dogs. Well, it was just for the, I mean, it was just for the punchline of Rolf would be in trouble and the dogs would be in trouble if the trees go. But, I mean, it's just... I don't, I don't get it. Because it's where dogs go to toilet, I think, is the joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think God, of. Yeah, it was so random, wasn't it? There was yeah. literally, like, no runner and then just really random little caveats with like either harvey dressed as a chicken or chickens <laughs> or this bit with like rolf and muppy that didn't really make much sense and didn't particularly land and then we went from that into the uk spot which wow what a was just another confusion. dr t for the electric mayhem number <laughs> like it, it, was this episode made in 10 minutes like i don't know like... <laughs> and literally just animal yelling jam like what <laughs> What? <laughs> oh, I just, I, I felt like this was so odd after they'd opened the show. I feel like it's the first time we've had it where one set of, or maybe not a set, it's only really a set if you're talking about the electric mayhem, to be fair, isn't it? But do you know what I mean? Where one, a Muppet or a group of Muppets have essentially done the same thing twice in the same episode. Yeah. Really, really strange. I know it's the UK spot, so... I get that it wasn't being All seen bets by are everywhere. Off. Like, <laughs> I just don't understand why you couldn't have had another different, st- like just a different UK spot. Just put this for another episode where the Electric Mayhem don't have another number. Yeah, or just give, I don't know, like, does Harvey Corman not sing? I thought every performer in the 70s was like a vague triple threat <laughs> where they all had to be able to do a turn. Do you know what I mean? It was odd not to see him do a kind of musical number in some yeah. way because we're just so used to it now. But yeah, just to be given two band segments. This one didn't even have explosions to propel it along. <laughs> they probably, well, probably because none of them could hear each other anymore. So now they just did this. <laughs> it was just unnecessary. And again, you feel like, not. I, I understand that the UK spot every week is 
additional time to the episode, isn't it? It's not essentially part of the core episode. But between this, the panel show, and how long the Thog um, circus sketch went on for, <laughs> there feels like there was adequate and ample time for them to have done a proper runner. Bizarre choices to me, yeah. really. It really felt they were just, yeah, clinging to anything and just being like, oh, this will <laughs> fill a couple of minutes. Do you know what I mean? Just do it. It'll be yeah, fine. I, mean, I don't know how you both felt about the talk spot, but I thought the initial premise of it where Harvey was complaining about being the token human on the show for 1976, I thought that was actually quite an amusing sort of reversal of a joke where he's he's complaining about being the only human and putting up with all these chickens and frogs and ducks or whatever it was he kept moaning about. No, I agree. I did worry briefly when we were sort of stumbling into this territory. I was like, I don't know if this show is going to have the ability (laughs) to do this in a manner that will not be in some way offensive now. But it was all right. I sort of of kept like catching my breath. Like, oh, oh, okay, they stuck the landing. All right, kudos. (laughs) Like, well done. Good joke. Solidly delivered. But when they opened the sketch with, uh, how are you enjoying the show, Harvey? It's like, well, I don't know. I wrote down, yeah, (laughs) I agree, Harvey. Like, I haven't particularly enjoyed this one either. And I don't think it must have been much more enjoyable to do. Emma, what did you think of uh, Harvey dressed up in his, I'm going to call it giant Camilla suit, because I don't really know what else to call it. Yeah, again, really, really quite bizarre. Like, I mean, it was quite fun when you kind of saw like all the Muppets come on stage and like, I wouldn't say attack him, but <laughs> put him into his chicken suit. But it just kind of added to the weirdness of this show because I was like, chickens, explosions, jam, like, <laughs> what? what is, who's coming up with this? What's yeah. like the Fred? Like, whose thought process? And I do think it kind of like, you know, like I said, when I sort of spoke a bit about his history and what he was doing and what he was in I think we could have had a bit more in the talk spot do you know what I mean I just don't think it you know we've had some really good ones where people have played into it and just kind of gone in and had really strong sort of character and really strong chat whereas I just think this one was a bit like not great I don't know it just didn't yeah we got we got no sense of Harvey Corman. like he delivered the joke well enough like the yeah. whole the joke itself was well delivered, but I haven't I have I have not come away from this understanding what Harvey Corman's star persona no. is at all. It was a very good chicken outfit though. It was really gorgeously made. It feels like that's what they spent the most time on this yeah. week. <laughs> and the money, the most money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think they probably went through a fair bit on the explosions for the electric True. mayhem as well. But I think between the explosions and the chicken outfit, that was it. That was the budget gone on this episode. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe that's why they had like subpar writers. Yeah, and and, and two Dr. Teeth and electric mayhem numbers. They're like, we, we genuinely can't afford to get any more Muppets out. <laughs> like it's just, they're in a different pack of a boot of a car. Do you know what I mean? We can't. <laughs> the um the chicken outfit was amazing, and he also looked very funny in it. I really, even just the way that they'd framed his face in it, I thought was really. There's nothing funnier than a person's face just sticking out of an inanimate cartoon costume Animal. like that. Yeah, it's always yeah. hilarious. Like I don't know why it's so funny, but it just is. Just it's have just someone's funny. slightly smooshed face just sticking out <laughs> of a, like a neck of something else. It's like it always makes me think of Emma when we went to Disneyland Paris, and uh, we were like a bunch of the characters were like you know 
hobnobbing around and uh, they had come on one of those old timey cars on Main Street. <laughs> I know and what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, and one of them was the uh, one of the Mary Poppins penguins and then <laughs> all of the other costume characters like Goofy and Chippendale. Hansy, by the way, in Paris in the 90s, <laughs> according to our mum. <laughs> it turns out, just sidebar, look out for them. But uh, they all sort of like climbed back into the uh, like little roadster car and drove off. And they left behind the Mary Poppins penguin. <laughs> he was like waving his little flipper and like running after them. And it was clearly not a bit because it just. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> he got left behind. <laughs> just, and you could just see this like pissed off Frenchman just like, ah, just like in his little mis- Mary Poppins penguin outfit just like stomping along afterwards. It was, and the other characters on the cart paid him no mind. <laughs> they were like, it is uh, 10 minutes past the time for my single head break. <laughs> I need to get the goofy head off. <laughs> I'm gasping for a smoke. <laughs> they were probably already on strike knowing what the French are like. They were probably already on like, but it just you saying about his face being squished though it's just made me think also of al from toy story when he dresses up as the chicken al's toy (laughs) barn yeah yeah everything for a buck 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 it's great chicken costume always hilarious what a hit (laughs) (laughs) and talking of hits veterinarian's hospital seems to be Maybe part of the fabric of the show again, finally. Yay! <laughs> oh, thank God for Dr. Bob. That's all I can say. I don't know what it was this week. Rolf was so cute. I really wanted to hug him. Like, he well, just looked He so... was full on depressed. I was I honestly know. like, somebody maybe like taking a look at Rolf's prescriptions because I think he's like. <laughs> He's not the happy Dr. Bob that we're used to seeing. It's like one of those episodes, Emma, of ER or Grey's Anatomy where they suddenly decide to do a one episode amount of character development for one of the doctors and out of nowhere they're like, he's got depression or she's juggling it all. And it's just, and then like the next week they're just back to normal again. But for one week it's suddenly like, I got issues. <laughs> it was actually, yeah. It had that kind of vibe to it where he was saying he was underpaid and overworked. And again, we end the end gag was another explosion. Yeah. <laughs> Did they have like do you think they got like a group on for explosions? <laughs> or something like nitroglycerin was on offer that week. So they were like, look, we've got all this stuff, it's about to expire. Can we just can you write as many explosions as you can into this episode? Because otherwise we're just gonna have to chuck this stuff out and that costs the company more. Maybe that was it. Maybe they thought, you know, we are getting roughly halfway through this first season. Maybe they thought that in general, the first half of the season would just have more explosions in it. They bought in a load of stuff for it. They hadn't used it. So then they were like, oh my God, we have to use this up. Like, we just have to Otherwise, use it. Otherwise it's going to become unstable. <laughs> we can't keep it in the warehouse anymore. <laughs> you know, like Jerry Jewel's going to go have a cigarette and <laughs> blow everybody up. There God. goes Kermit. Boom! <laughs> I 
did oh, I did God. find this one a little bit strange just because Dr. Bob seemed so kind of down and he was talking about being in debt and his wife leaving oh. him and being sued for malpractice. I was like, <laughs> this, is, this is getting dark. To be fair, Very the malpractice dark. suit is probably entirely justified. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, but... I don't know if we need to bring that up in this environment, you know? Just like... But that's what I mean. It's the one week of character yeah. development and then it will be back to normal again next week. We won't hear any of these complaints ever again. <laughs> I I loved trying to see... Um, it would have been Jim, wouldn't it, doing Rolf, trying to get his little doctor's hat back onto his head for like the yeah. rest of the sketch and event- eventually just holding it in place so he could <laughs> deliver his lines and you could still see his face, which... <laughs> You know, kudos to Rolf. I would do exactly the same thing. It's like, as long as I can see my face, it's fine. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I've got the, the the costume back on correctly, but as long as I can see the face. A bit like we said, maybe they did spend all their money on the explosions because like, they could have just retaped it. Like, <laughs> yeah, like They were like, no, cut, print, move on. <laughs> just... <laughs> did you both enjoy the, the final pun at the end of Veterinarian's Hospital 2 where... Frank Oz is the presumably now dead <laughs> um, body on the table said, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Oh, bad, pun. <laughs> bad pun. Bad pun. Now here's something I never thought I would ever say. What a fun Wayne and Wanda sketch this was this week. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that it started with Sam the Eagle talking about the tear in his eye and like seemingly getting quite emotional. The Muppets seem quite unstable this week, don't they? Not in the chaotic sense, in the sort of emotional... They're all off their meds. Like, like they're on a new... <laughs> yeah. They're all on new prescriptions this week. Like, their levels are it's just not... It's not kicked in they're yet. all uneven, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the Wayne and Wonder sketch was good fun. It was. It was good, actually, yeah. He full-on belted... Her <laughs> He like booted her <laughs> off the stage. Presumably for her to fall into the orchestra pit. Like she would have been like, oof. I burst out <laughs> laughing. Like I, I loved it. And I knew it was coming. But like it was just great. He just, boof, bam, bitch goes down. Like she was out of there. I think it was also really, I mean, I know they always do famous songs, but there's something about I Get a Kick Out of You, such a famous song yeah. for them to be doing as well. Like it was just... Well, it's that Muppet irreverence thing, isn't it? It's taking, mm. a th- mm. it's taking a song and giving it a twist, which is what we want. But it's really just the first time that I felt that Wayne and Wanda's twist or gag on the song really landed. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had some that feel a bit half-hearted, you know, like stormy weather and all it does is just start lightly drizzling. Whereas this yeah. was just <laughs> a, a classic... Kick in the back. Like, <laughs> just everything, like the timing and the sound and the weight of the foot <laughs> onto Wanda's back. And her, like, yelp as she disappeared from frame. And Wayne, uh, Wayne's sort of self satisfied, sort of like nod <laughs> as he just booted his partner off. Ugh. He was also probably really happy that he got to stay on stage for longer than Wanda did too. Of course. Because normally when they when they go down in the boat or whatever, they go off together. And this week, he got slightly longer stage time than she did because he booted her off. If anything, I hope they keep that kind of uh, vibe between them because I'd love them to be like a warring double act where they hate each mm-hmm. other and they're both trying to compete for not for them both to be on stage. Yeah. But for just one of them. Yeah. 
Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. I hope that kind of vibe sticks around for them because it's great. That would be really good fun. Have Wanda take her revenge next week. <laughs> and then before we go into the Fozzie Bear section, which I absolutely loved, it was definitely my highlight of the episode. I just want to acknowledge the chicken parade including Harvey Corman's chicken that graced the screen, starting with what I wrote in my notes as the freakiest chicken I think I'd ever seen. <laughs> that chicken was messed up. Like it looked like it had come from the factory farm, not from like Jim Neighbors, like country boy farm. Yeah, the organic uh, farm that Camilla and Co. Yeah, exactly. Come from. Like, <laughs> yeah. Was it meant to be a cockerel? Oh, I don't know. I don't think it had the thing on it. It's co- it didn't have a cone, did it? It had a what now? A cone. That that's the, I'm doing this, you can see. Oh, is that what they call the little floppy head, head, head gear? Bit? I just always think of chicken run, like whatever the little, like, you know, those strange little tendrils are on the top of their head. The, um, <laughs> to know it's called now it. I'm thinking of the glove that the, is it the penguin in Wallace and Gromit? Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Feathers, Feathers McGraw. McGraw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was a very strange little chicken rooster, whatever. But I love just, where are those chickens marching to? And is this a sketch or is it happening backstage? Like, what was the logic? I loved seeing him in the suit again, but I was like, are they preparing for war? Like, because they're like, <laughs> are the chickens about to mount some kind of revolution? It was really... I couldn't, I couldn't pick it apart. And not to be too, uh, not to be take you too far out of the illusion of it all, Lewis. I think this is what we call putting the money on screen. I think they'd spent a lot of time and effort on that outfit and they just needed to get another excuse to get him on screen in that outfit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fair enough. Don't need to justify it any more than that. No. I wondered if we should re-watch the little Fozzie and Kermit segment before we talk about it, because I thought it was so clever. And I feel like this is the first time we've really seen Fozzie stuff, for me, really land this week. And it was so much about the interplay with the two of them. Yeah. All right, let's watch a little bit of Fozzie and Kermit. Okay, time once again for that furry, fuzzy, funny man, fabulous, freewheeling, fast and frantic Fozzie Bear! so fast tonight i am going to use your assistance oh yeah yes sir you and i are going to tell the world's funniest joke uh, this right? is all spontaneous unrehearsed right froggy it's unrehearsed yes. okay okay now frog of my heart yes you will just wait until i say the word here when you hear me say the word here you will rush up to me and say good grief the comedians are bare good grief the comedians are bare check when you say the word here. Right. Gotcha. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Ready? Okay, here we go. Now then. Hiya, hiya, hiya. You're a wonderful looking audience. It's a pleasure to be here. Good I... grief, the comedian's are there. <laughs> <laughs> you just said here. That was the wrong here. Which is the right here? The other here. Sure. <laughs> go, go, go. Okay. <laughs> hey, hey, folks. This is a story you're going to love to hear. Good grief, the comedian's are there. <laughs> When I point to you. <laughs> All right. 
Don't grumble. <clears throat> Say, a funny thing happened to me on the way to the theater. At the stage door, I passed a bunch of Muppet fans, and suddenly I hear... Good grief, the comedian's a bear. No, he's a nut. He's a were-a-namekitai. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed that it. That was probably like the <laughs> highlight. <laughs> now, did it take me a couple of seconds to get it? Probably <laughs> because my brain is not fully in gear today. But the moment it kind of clicked in, I just, I almost like put my head in my hands. It was like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> it's like, a, it's so stupid, but I love it. It is really, really stupid. And I just... Instead of doing Muppet Philosophy this week, I just want to read you a little quick segment about this bit from the book because it's really interesting. So again, this is from Jim Henson, The Biography by Brian J. Jones. The book's talking about how Fozzie, they were really struggling to find Fozzie as a character and how they were slowly changing the Muppet so that Fozzie's character had kind of changed, including he starts with like downturned corners of his mouth and they upturned them so that he didn't have a perpetual grimace. They got rid of the wiggling ears. So at some point they are obviously going to disappear. It talks in the book about how this sketch was actually something that really helped them find the Fozzie character. So yet Fozzie continued to struggle as the fool guy until the character suddenly and wonderfully fell into place. In a sketch worthy of Abbott and Costello, Fozzie asked Kermit for help in telling a joke, convincing the frog to act as his straight man. And then it goes on to explain the joke and it's actually got the full script of it in here, um, which is quite funny. But it says, while it was a defining moment for the character, it very nearly didn't make it before the cameras. It had been written very quickly. We sent the material down on the floor just a few minutes before they were going to tape it, recalled Jewel, and taped toward the end of the day when Jim and Oz had little time to rehearse. After reading it through once, Jim and Oz put Kermit and Fozzie on their arms and completed the complicated sketch in one remarkable take. They just played the hell out of it, said Jewel admiringly, and suddenly Fozzie was wonderful. I remember that moment and saying, now there's a character there. You're completely right. And it it does feel like Fozzie suddenly is right because he's no longer a sad sack. He's just a bit useless do you know what I mean but charmingly useless or just yeah he sort of makes you groan and then laugh rather than just feel sad it's it's and it is a really subtle difference but it's such a fundamental shift and it'll be interesting to see how that goes from this point onwards and whether that lesson is learned right away yes or whether they come back to it I also think you really get more of the Kermit and Fozzie relationship that we're used to here. You know, Kermit's not being mean. He's playing along with Fozzie. He wants to help Fozzie tell the joke. He's happy to play as the straight man in Fozzie's joke telling. But then you also still see Fermit. That's not his name. You also see, you also still see Kermit being frazzled. That was where the fr was coming from. You still see him being Ah. frazzled and getting annoyed and waving his arms around and being the annoyed Kermit that we love, but it's not done from a place of cynicism and meanness. It's done with a lot of love and affection for wanting Fozzie to tell a joke really well. When I saw it, I remembered reading that bit in the book and I was like, yeah, this this feels right. This feels like Kermit and Fozzie. And it's also just, it is funny and you're not laughing necessarily at the bad pun of the joke. 
you know, you're just you're just laughing at the whole setup and how wonderfully Jim and Frank are playing these two great Muppets, I think. It's interesting that you say that they literally just kind of did it really last minute and like knocked it out of the park because you can see it. It's not like over rehearsed. It's not kind of like overdone. They just hit it. I'm sure they were probably on a bit of adrenaline as well if it was literally just like brought down to the floor and yeah. they were like at the end of the day. And it just works really, really well. And you can see the talent of like Jim and Frank. That makes sense because I feel like you can hear it slightly in their voice yes. where they, they start finding it funny. Yeah. And then you, when Fosney says, don't grumble, that feels like such a little ad lib. Mm. So yeah, it, it has that kind of live. Yeah, fresh. Yeah. It has yeah. that kind of energy and yeah. liveness to it and you feel it. And uh, oh, what a what a lovely insight. Thanks, Jay. It's okay. I just I'm just so glad that we're finding Fozzie finally, because it's just been so sad yeah. seeing him get put down by Statler and Wardorf and not being able to give it what for back. But this was this felt good. This felt really enjoyable. How weird on a week where all the other Muppets are off their beds that <laughs> Fozzie seems to have found his uppers. Well, that so. is, that's Fozzie in a nutshell, I would say, right? Like- <laughs> <laughs> and then we go from that, which was absolutely fabulous into the news flash and the uh, return of the um <coughs> accent oh, bonanza accent bonanza oh oh i think that's <laughs> basically what just describes it <laughs> yeah even the presence of my favorite muppet i want to touch wasn't enough to uh, <laughs> pull, pull this one together yeah just a bit of a mess really yeah just felt very 70s very, you know like even even just having a joke about a boxer i don't know just feels very dated doesn't it <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> boxing feels very well, 1970s it really does <laughs> just i don't know just I mean, I guess today it would be a joke about an MMA fighter or something, wouldn't it? Rather than just like a traditional boxer. I don't know. As we've discussed before on the podcast, we all know nothing about sport, but just... Nothing. Not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) The closest I get to is uh, all female sports movies. So (laughs) it's Whip It, A League of Their Own, and End of List. (laughs) Oh my god, I might go watch A League of Their Own after this. <laughs> That's like a perfect hangover movie. Yeah, I think the only time I joined a sports team was because I got an early lunch out of it. <laughs> <laughs> All I was going to say was Lewis would have joined if he was able to do some accent showcase work as part of the team. But uh... <laughs> I'm always doing accent work. I'm living theatrically in regular life. <laughs> I'm assuming that was your like Catherine Hepburn bit there. <laughs> No, my Catherine Hepburn is more like this. Look at me, David. I was born on the side of a hill. You're the worst kind of snob there is. You're an intellectual snob. I think that's genuinely very good for a Catherine Hepburn. Useless to have in the year 2021. But <laughs> look, it's there in the back pocket for when I need it. When you eventually get to go on the Muppets and go on Muppet Newsflash, you can do a Catherine Hepburn-esque <laughs> Newsflash segment and be... Away, it'd be wonderful. Perfect, that'll be great. I think we should move on to a slightly iconic piece of uh, Muppet history then just out of nowhere appears at the end of this episode. We have Robin singing Halfway Down the Stairs. So sweet, so cute. Halfway down the stairs is a stair where I sit 
There isn't any other stair quite like it. I'm not at the bottom. I'm not at the top. So this is the stair where I always stop. I thought it was quite boring. I know it's iconic, but uh, it didn't work for me, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if that's provocative to say. I think it's a bit provocative just because it's so, it is so iconic. I, I watched the episode twice and the first time I saw it, I I would just say I was a bit sort of, oh, okay, there it is. But the second time I watched it, I actually really, really enjoyed it. And I thought it was really sweet and really kind of, I don't know, kind of melancholic and sincere and you know the Muppets when they're sentimental and lovely you know it was just hitting all of those notes for me and and it did Mm. it worked what we've been saying about them using all the money on the explosions and um the chicken costume I did slightly wonder about the staging of this with just the staircase in the middle of this empty studio was a little bit bizarre but it was sweet it worked for me so I, I did a little bit of research um, about this song and it's actually a poem by A.A. A. Milne yeah. that has been set to music it's called Halfway Down so it is a, it is very melancholic and very sort of like I don't know what whatever that particular sweet spot is that Winnie the Pooh kind of hits mm-hmm. that sort of childhood nostalgia thing meditative you know uh, but yeah I just again maybe I was watching it in the wrong frame of mind do you know what I mean like this episode had been very strange I not slept well. So maybe I need to come and revisit this at another time. Robin was very cute, though. It was strange to see him undressed. <laughs> like, <it> was, <laughs> where's his little red hoodie? Like, that's what I always picture Robin in, is a cute little red hoodie. I mean, I guess he hasn't been actually introduced as Kermit's nephew at this point. He's just a cute little child froggy muppet. <laughs> this song got to number seven on the UK singles charts. Wow. I know. I saw that too and was like, what? <laughs> Sung by Robin. And they refilmed it for Top of the Pops. <laughs> I think that's so cool. They probably would have been in like the next studio. Like, they probably would have been next door. What did you think of it, Emma? Oh, uh, I don't know. I kind of, it felt like quite a strange ending to an episode in terms of mm. it did feel it was sweet, but I kind of, I did feel a bit sad and like it was quite melancholy and yeah, it just kind of played on the whole thing of nostalgia and being in like that kind of weird middle age where you're not quite a child anymore and you're not an adult and you, you, you don't really know where you're at. And I kind of got that I'm vibe not from a girl, it. No. Not yet a woman. <laughs> All I need is time. No. Lewis, stop. <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> Sorry, Emma, continue. Anyway, sidestepping from that. Yeah, I don't know. It was just... And then also, like you said, Jade, the staging wasn't great. Like, it just, it was kind of... Those stairs looked really mm, cheap. (laughs) They did. And I just think that it could have had a a bit more kind of... If it was staged better and also the song kind of used maybe in a better way, then it might have had a bit more of a kind of 
impact. Again, like I said, it was like strange that we went from like the really strong kind of fuzzy comedy act sketch. Then we went to Newsflash, which was just quite frankly terrible. (laughs) And then we went into this and it was lovely to see Robin and it was quite a sweet song, but it was quite a a sad kind of end to it. I Mm. I just thought that um, for this particular episode. I feel like we've ended quite a few episodes on a, maybe not a downbeat note, but on that slightly sort of nostalgic or sentimental note. You know, we've had the the Muppets singing with Sandy Duncan. Obviously, last week we had the Inchworm, which I don't want to talk about any further than that. Um, But it kind of fitted in with that to me. I don't think it particularly fitted in with the episode, but I actually feel like almost nothing in this episode really had anything to do with what was either side of it or you know anything no. else particularly in the episode other than Harvey Corman in a chicken outfit that was that was about you know the only Consistent. kind of thing that was... yeah there was like no continuity whatsoever yeah. throughout the whole episode like nothing no. kind of fed into the next thing like you say and it was literally just Harvey in his chicken suit that kind of popped up every now and then (laughs) (laughs) Muppy attacking Harvey was another constant we had that a couple of times but yeah other than that that was that was it so I felt like it was I suppose again take Muppet News Flash out because it was quite short and whatever but I felt with the the Wayne and Wanda the fuzzy Kermit sketch and then Robin at the end, I felt like it was actually quite a strong end to what had definitely been a pretty mediocre and sporadic episode before that. I mean, I still don't think there was any real continuity or anything, but at least there were some stronger sketches at the end. Also, I just felt like there was something a bit kind of maybe sour is not the right word, but the Ringmaster sketch had a weird kind of energy to it. Dr. Bob was... (laughs) definitely depressed um like and then finishing with this there was something a little bit kind of unbalanced just off with Mm. with the sort of vibe of the of the episode so i i wasn't particularly expecting this at the end of it but it didn't not work for me i still was able to enjoy the song for what it was now am i saying i would have bought a copy of it and helped it get to number seven in the chart i don't know but <laughs> and when you think about, like that was in the 70s that wasn't just people like streaming it nope. for novelty they yep. went and bought a record of I know, this song i know i can't get my head around that but that just shows you how popular the muppets were you know the muppet mm. show was the most popular show on television and People loved it. They absolutely loved it. But I can't, I cannot imagine, I mean, unless it was kids, unless it was like when Teletubbies and Bob the Builder and whatever got to number one because it was kids buying it. I don't know. (sighs) Maybe. Let's, I I was going to say let's dive deeper, but I don't know where we'll get that research. (laughs) Well, if you're listening. I would know who to call. (laughs) If you're listening and you were around in the UK in the 70s and you remember when Robin got to number seven Robin and got fever to go on the top of the swept I mean, the, the only thing I can the only thing I can think of is how that happened is because obviously like you know nowadays you're kind of exposed to so much in terms of like content from different countries and different kind of music films blah 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 whereas obviously at that time in the UK you had like I don't know let's just say three or four TV channels you had like three yeah three sorry yeah you had like mainstream radio stations you weren't yeah. exposed it's a to monoculture yeah and that's probably yeah. why yeah you're right i think the monoculture contributed to robin <laughs> getting to number seven 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's a fair point. I will be very interested to see how we're all going to uh, rank this episode. But before that, we have to do our most valued Muppet performer, the MVMP. Uh, Jade, why don't you kick us off this week? I'm going to go with Fozzy because I'm just so relieved to see Fozzy in a much more positive, upbeat, you know, a genuinely good relationship with Kermit that you could see there. The interplay between them was just working. I'm so happy to see him land a skit and not not just die on stage at Mm. the hands of Statler and Waldorf. As you said, Lewis, I'm not sure if we're going to necessarily sustain this immediately, but I'm glad to see that they found something that's working with Fozzie and it's giving me hope that sometime soon, hopefully, we're going to get a much more consistent Fozzie Bear who's who we all know and love. Um, And I'm really excited for that because Fozzie's been a bit of a disappointment so far in the, the run of the show as we have seen it. So yeah, Fozzie is my MVMP. Emma? Who are you going with for your MVMP? I'm going to join you, Jade, and actually say it's Fozzy. Like you've already said, to be honest, it just felt like the most Fozzy that we've seen him be. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't kind of been like the butt of the joke. He hasn't gone out and died on stage. He hasn't had like Statler and Wardorf interrupting his act. And just kind of like the interplay between him and Kermit and the fact that you know, like you said earlier from that little extract in the book, it felt really like fresh and alive and it just felt like a lot of fun and it showed like Fozzie's development and the fact that he was kind of doing his act and it was just flowing really well. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think for this week, um, I'm going to say my MVMP is Fozzie Bear. How about you, Lou? I'm also going to go Woo! for a character that felt like they were working this week, but not Fozzie. <laughs> oh. I'm going to go, because I don't think I'll ever reward them again, Wayne and Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first time they made me laugh. And you know what? That's got to be rewarded. Uh, <laughs> it was a great little skit. It worked perfectly. I cackled with laughter and I feel like that's probably not going to happen again. So <laughs> I feel like I need to note this, you know, stamp their card to say you did it once. And because uh, I feel like I'm going to have ample opportunity to hand Fozzy MVMP. So got it, got to got to give it while the going's good. So well done, Wayne and Wanda. Please continue. I believe in you, Wayne and Wanda. You can you can do it again. You can make us laugh at least one more time, please. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. It is now time to move on to our rankings. I'm going to reverse the order again. Emma, what are you going to give this week's episode? I'm going to give it five chicken suits out of ten. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if this is going to be a clean sweep for everybody. I know, <laughs> right? Well, I just thought, you know, since it seems like they spent the most money on the chicken suit, I might as well mention it again. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it, it did seem quite a mixed bag of an episode, but I think I'm purely giving the points for Fozzie his character development as I said earlier and then also the fact that Wayne and Wanda like actually hit the mark this week which was really actually quite nice to see and it wasn't a like groan like oh no moment kind of thing and then you know you had the bit where Kermit interviews Animal which was really good as well Mm. but I don't think I'm gonna kind of go any higher than a five for this episode just because some of it is just like really dialed in or it just seemed like especially like Harvey's main kind of sketch just went on for far too long and then also kind of like the news flash 
and just like even the UK spot was quite grating <laughs> this week. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think this week and for this episode, I'm going to give it five chicken suits out of ten. How about you, Jay? Yeah, I was thinking the same as you that it's it is definitely a mixed bag, but. I'm going to go with five and a half bad puns out of ten (laughs) because I feel like there's enough in here, especially as I've just said at like the latter half of the episode that I did enjoy. Fozzie and Kermit, absolutely. I really did enjoy Robin on the stairs. It was just really cute. I really enjoyed Statler and Waldorf throughout this whole episode, actually. They had some really good one-liners. They had a little bit of funny business with... Camilla at one point attacking them and you know crazy Harry and everything that was just quite just solid solid Muppet Statler and Waldorf stuff and definitely Kermit and Animals interview was really good fun but I completely agree I think that Harvey Corman either wasn't given enough material to really work with or he didn't kind of bring his personality into it enough for it to to really land but I'm just excited that there does seem to be a bit of character development going on and we're we're moving in the right direction. So yeah, five and a half, bad puns, as Animal would say. Lewis, what are you thinking? I'm going to be a bit harsher, actually. I'm going to go for four and a half questionable explosions out of ten. <laughs> I think there was a real problem with pacing, with some of the writing the episode itself just felt like such a mixed bag with no clear through line beyond a man in a chicken suit, which for all its hilarity is not what you hang an entire episode on. There were some really great moments, which you've both already mentioned, but it it wasn't enough to save it for me. But it's enough for it not to be a total disaster. So I think four and a half is the most I can really give it. It's a shame we didn't really get to understand who Harvey Corman is. And it, yeah, it just felt a bit of a waste of somebody who clearly was a very prolific comedian and performer and who must have been well-liked and considered funny to have the career he had to then just come away somewhat indifferent to him. Um, so yeah, I think it's... Uh, I, th- I was just a bit let down, I think. And I suppose with uh, no Muppet philosophy at the end of this week, it's, uh, it's, it's it, on a slightly downbeat note, slightly like this episode, it's time for me to say goodbye. Um, thank you so much for listening to Muppet Sational. If you've enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, as it really helps spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us on social media. We are at Muppetsational on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can contact us at hi-ho at muppetspodcast.com. And you can find out more about... <laughs> wow. I mean, I got this far. It's, <laughs> and you can find... it's a miracle. It is, frankly. <laughs> and you can find out more about us as a podcast at muppetspodcast.com. I'm going to go have a lie down now, but thank you so much for joining us. I've been Lewis Chandler. What am I called for God's sake? Do you want to do that again? No, I don't deserve it. <laughs> I've been Jade Turner, who is not hungover at all in the slightest. Congratulations, me. And I've been Emma Chandler, and I've also Jane. Um, oh, no. I'm not hungover. <laughs>
That's oh what you no, I, was, I know, right? <laughs> and I was like, and I'm Emma Chandler, and I'm joining Jade in the non-hangover club. Although you can't tell that by the fact that I'm not speaking very well <laughs> at the end of this episode. <laughs> Hoisted by your own batard. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week for another episode of Muppetsational. Woo! I need to lay down. Our theme music is Peppy Pepe by Kevin MacLeod and our artwork is designed by Charlotte Rudge who you can follow at at charlie underscore r underscore rudge on Instagram.